You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, good morning again. Uh, what do you guys think of the teens and the yams leading? Yes, the, the teens and the yams and some teen leaders. It's really Justin up here. Um, yeah, a lot of our yams are actually at the ICMC conference in, uh, I, I think they're saying it's in Ohio, but they actually drive across into Kentucky, and that's where the conference center is. Uh, but they'll be coming back in the next couple days. Um, but I have the great privilege this morning of sharing God's word with you, with my beautiful and spiritual wife, Catherine. And so we're going to tag team this lesson on Esther, um, but Catherine's going to share uh, just a little bit about camp. So yeah, I, I know that you have already seen a video and you heard from some of the teens about teen camp, but it really was an incredible week. The whole theme was King, um, King being Jesus, not King Dustin, but um, yeah, so Jesus as our King, and so the lessons in the weeks, they are in the week kind of, it started with this guy, Jeff Walling, coming from Pepperdine and teaching all the teens about how our culture nowadays is dripping with Jesus. And sometimes we might not feel that way because uh, it seems like we're kind of living in a godless time. <laughs> um, but how our hospitals, orphanages, um, even the names of our streets, the names of our children, all of it has its roots in Jesus and his disciples. Uh, and then the next night we talked about, it was the confession night, and all the teens heard an amazing lesson about how freeing it is to walk in the light and how amazing it is to, that when you confess your sins, you're healed. Uh, the next night we talked about taking steps of repentance towards Jesus as our king. Um, and then we talked about the next day how to come home and bring Jesus back to our community. It really was an incredible week, and it's so encouraging to see these teens. You know, it's funny because we're teen leaders, but honestly, I feel like these teens lead us in so many ways. Being at this camp, I mean, Dustin and I have grown up going to teen camps, but it, it's, it's just the, the level of the intensity and emotionality of the worship, everything is just incredible. Uh, it's really invigorating for our faith. So I highly recommend, even if you're a parent and you think like, I could never slip and slide or I could never do Glow in the Dark Ultimate Frisbee, you don't have to. You can just watch the teens do it. But come to teen camp and be a counselor because it's really an incredible life-changing experience. It is. Amen. Um, and those, those lessons will be online in the next couple of weeks. They're kind of editing them and everything, but we'll send those links out so you can hear each of the lessons that your teens heard each night. Um, so we are continuing a series, uh, the, the series Ordinary Heroes. We're looking at characters in the Bible that maybe we overlook from time to time, maybe aren't the prominent characters in the Bible, but we're looking at them and seeing how they, um, how they were heroes of, of faith. And so today we're going to look at Esther, we're calling Esther a humble servant. And so in the book of Esther, one of the interesting things, Catherine mentioned that lesson from Jeff Walling. Sometimes it can feel like God is, is having less and less influence in our culture. Like people are just walking away from churches, walking away from God, exploring other, other uh, areas of enlightenment and satisfaction. And, um, and yet, uh, in, in this book, we also see a similar situation because God is not mentioned at all. 
God is not referenced in the book of Esther, in the 10 chapters in Esther, which is so interesting because Esther is a book in the Bible. And so what we see in Esther is not mention of God, but we see God working. And sometimes that's the case in our culture, in our lives. Yeah, there's, 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 we're like, where is God? Is he working? What's he doing here? And he is in fact working. And oftentimes we can't see exactly what he's doing. Uh, but we're going to look at Esther and just her humility in, in wanting to align herself with others, with God, and ultimately surrendering to God. And those are the three aspects of humility that we'll look at in, um, in Esther's life. To give you a quick uh, background on the, first, like the start of the book, you have King Xerxes. And he's in charge of the Persian Empire. This is after the exile in Babylon. So many of the Jews have gone back to Jerusalem. And there's a remnant of Jews that are left in Persia. And so King Xerxes, he's this great ruler. I mean, not great in, a, in like a noble sense. But he's a, he's, he's a commander of so much uh, territory. And so you have, he's throwing this 180-day party. Yeah, this guy likes to party. He likes to drink and he likes to party. You'll see that throughout the book of Esther. But within this 180 days, he calls for the queen, Queen Vashti, to come to him and come into his presence and be with him, and she refuses. And so because she refuses, he gets mad, he's drunk, he's angry. He deposes of her and, and says, I want a new queen. So he brings, he has uh, some of his officials gather up some young women in, uh, in the city and he essentially has a beauty contest to pick his next queen. And Esther is one of those women. She's a young Jewish woman. And eventually uh, she wins his favor and she becomes queen. So Queen Esther, a humble servant. So we're going to look at Esther's humility um, within this book. So the first, the first characteristic of her humility, a humble servant aligns with others. Humble servant aligns with others. Relationships require humility. Have you ever been in a relationship where there's just so much pride from both, uh, from both parties that there's real no traction or depth in that relationship? I remember driving with my best friend to, from Florida to North Carolina. Uh, right after we graduated high school, I flew out and met him and we drove up to North Carolina. And on the way, I can't tell you for how long we argued about this and didn't talk about it, but we argued about what CD we were going to listen to. This is my best friend. And so I felt so distant from him because of our pride. And I wanted to listen to a CD. We, of course, we had the book of CDs. Like you, the young, the teens don't know about anymore. Um, but we were, there was so much pride. Relationship requires humility. And we have mentioned, I know Brian has mentioned it a few times. I've mentioned it once or twice. But this Greek word phreneo. Phreneo, it's, it's aligning yourself with others. It's coming alongside someone rather than face-to-face because sometimes that can... Or behind. Or behind. Uh, but coming alongside someone. It's the, same, it's the same term that Jesus uses when he addresses Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God but the things of men. And so his, his mindset was not aligned with Jesus's. So this word phreneo, it's aligning your mind with someone else. And it requires humility. It's putting yourself in their shoes and looking at life from their vantage point. And you feel phreneo when someone is asking you a lot of questions about yourself and trying to get to know you, trying to understand who you are and how you see this life. 
how you approach this life. Or maybe when someone affirms like deep emotions and feelings that you're expressing and they affirm and they listen, you feel frenail. You feel like they're aligning themselves with you. You know, this picture right here, this was taken uh, yesterday morning at 545 in the morning. And this was at Lake Havasu. Uh, we, were, we were on vacation with Tim and Amy Schneider. And so this is uh, our three kids and, and Tatum and Emma, their, their youngest daughters. And they were watching the sun rise over Lake Havasu. And we were in, it wasn't really a frenzy, but I think in our minds we kind of felt frenzied inside trying to clean up and get on the road quickly so that we could get home uh, sooner rather than later. But our, we, we just looked out and all our kids were sitting on the back patio looking at the sunset. And sunrise. Or, yeah, the sunrise. Like yeah, it felt like sunset. <laughs> um, but, but to me, this is a picture of Freneo sitting next to one another, looking out. And it's not the exact same vantage point because they're I don't know, maybe a half foot or a foot apart from each other, but a similar vantage point. Looking at the same thing, being with each other side by side. But a humble servant aligns with others. And within the book of Esther, we see this. We see this aligning with others. One of the, one of the ways that Esther aligns herself with others is by asking advice, listening to advice, and acting on that advice. And you know, in my, in my life, there have been, um, I, I've received lots of advice. Some that I've listened to and some that I haven't. Some that I've asked for, some that I didn't ask for. Um, one of those, I know I've shared it before, but it was, it was not the vantage point that I had in life. But I'm really glad that I listened to it. And it was Brian Plymel, my father-in-law. And they're actually here today. They came up from Long Beach. Um, but when I, was, uh, when I was interested in Catherine, when I re-met her after many years of not seeing her, uh, I was interested in her. I called up her parents and I said, I'm interested in your daughter. I'd like to start dating her. This was after one date. And, and so her dad said, in, in other words, pump the brakes a little bit. This is a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so we were talking about, okay, how often should we talk? Because I was in Colorado, she was here. And he said, I think, I think uh, talking on the phone every two weeks would be a good starting point. <laughs> I mean, for me, I'm like, our relationship's going to go nowhere if we talk every two weeks. That's what I thought uh, in my, in my foolishness. Yeah, in my 23-year-old wisdom. Um, but, I, but I listened to him. I trusted, I trusted his, uh, his advice. I trusted his wisdom. And, and I, I came alongside and tried to view from his vantage point. And, and not only did God bless that and poured grace into our relationship. I mean, we're, we're married now. We have three kids. We love, I, we love each other. We're falling deeper in love with each other. But I, so I, I feel like I won favor or I, I, I received God's favor in our relationship. But I also received Brian and Karen's favor. So humility produces favor in our life. Um, and so we we're going to look at that with Esther and her relationship with Mordecai. Mordecai was her cousin who raised her because her, uh, because her parents um, had died. So, um, so we're going to look at a couple passages right here. Esther chapter 2 verse 15. It says, when the turn came for Esther, this is the beauty pageant that I had mentioned. She's coming in before the king. 
um, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. And then we see uh, in five verses later, Esther continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. So not only is Esther listening to Mordecai's advice as, um, you know, throughout her life, as she was being brought up, she was listening and she had humility, but she also listens to other people like this king's eunuch Haggai. He gives her advice and she follows it and she doesn't request anything else other than what he told her to do. And as a queen, man, she had all the power at this point. She could have felt like, man, I've arrived. I don't need your advice, Mordecai, anymore. Look where I've, look where I've arrived. I don't need your advice. You're a eunuch. I'm a queen. But she listened and we see that she won the favor of everyone who saw her. Um, You know, I think in all stages of life, we can learn from Esther. I think with teens, teens, you guys can learn from Esther if you're listening. Oh, there you are. You came out. Hey, guys. Um, Teens, you can learn from Esther by acting on humility now. Um, Acting on that humility and that advice that that, uh, other people are giving you now. It'll be easier when you grow up if you listen to advice now. I know there, there are many of you who, uh, who know that you need to study the Bible eventually when the time is right or, you know, let me see five years down the road where I'm at, but why not now? Why not trust what you've heard from other disciples? And maybe it's not just the teens, but others who are considering following Christ. I mean, how many times have you heard from someone who has been following Christ, like, this is the best decision I have ever made? Right. I... I have never regretted making the decision to follow Christ. We hear that over and over and it's not something that we're just supposed to say. It's not like we're playing church and like, yeah, like when I walk out these doors, that's not what I'm saying. No, we mean it. This is the greatest decision I have ever made Mm -hmm. to follow Christ. And if you're in that position, thinking about making that decision, trust those who have gone before you. Trust those who have gone before you and their advice. You know, for the, for the adults, as I get older, I arrive at moments in my life where I think, you know what, I have enough experience. I've gained wisdom along the years. I know how to handle this situation. Or I know what to do right now. I got this. And then there are other situations or other times in life that I arrive and I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I am so confused. I'm so lost. Somebody help me. And, you know, the message that we hear in the world around us, there's, there's several different messages that we hear. Um, one of the messages is fake it till you make it, right? You do you, you just fake it till you make it, but stay independent. But then we also hear in, in, in our world, Kendrick Lamar, sit down, be humble. So what is it? What should we do? Fake it till we make it or sit down and be humble? Well, Jesus says those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's Jesus' words. Humble yourself and you will be exalted. Humility always ends well. Amen? Okay, you have the clicker. So, oh, you've gone dark. 
Anyway, so one scripture, we wanted to talk about getting advice because obviously that's something that's very important to do. And there are many scriptures about getting advice. Like I think we all know the many advisors makes victory sure and the wise person listens to advice. But this is one that was kind of uncommon that um, I think speaks to the heart of getting advice. It's Proverbs 27 verse 9. It says, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend comes from their heartfelt advice. When I think about pleasant friendships, I think of the three amigos. I think of Haley, Renee, and Jazzy Fizzle, um, who are <laughs> up on the screen. Jasmine, sorry, it's hard. Nicknames don't die. But anyway, I think of their friendship, and I think about like these girls are going to be friends for life. They, they remind me of me and some of my friends, um, Olivia and Didi, who are, and Molly, who are my, like we call ourselves the yayas. Like the pleasantness of our friendship comes from heart, heartfelt advice. Like they've carried me through seasons. And I know that these girls were carry, will carry each other through many seasons in life. Uh, but I also think of Amy Schneider. You know, Dustin mentioned we just went on vacation with Tim and Amy and their girls. And a lot happens in four days with five toddlers or five preschoolers and young kids. And when you're in the heat and swimming all day. <laughs> uh, but I was so, I felt like I wanted to align myself with Amy and her parenting. Like the way that she parents her daughters is with, with such patience, with such grace, but also boundaries. You know how Jesus was full of grace and truth. That's the kind of parent I want to be, and I feel like that's the kind of parent that Amy is. She's able to set these firm boundaries for her kids, but there's a ton of grace and love as well. And, and so there was one morning, actually yesterday morning, after that really cute picture, one of my children, I know, uh, did not have so great of an attitude. And they came in, they were hungry, so that picture was taken before they ate. Anyway, so we tried to eat outside, but then there were bees, so then they came inside. So they were kind of my one child was kind of panicky and kind of emotional, kind of all over the place. And all the kids were sitting down for breakfast, and this one child of mine was, like, kicking and screaming and not having it. And I was like, Amy, what do I do? <laughs> I don't want to, like, yell and discipline them. I don't want to take them into another room. Like, I, I, do I sit down and, like, do I give them, what, what do I do? <laughs> and she was like, tell her, oh, sorry. Now you know which of my kids it was. Oops. Uh, I, I tried so hard. <laughs> I, I practiced this a lot, believe it or not. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, uh, you guys probably guessed anyway. Uh, she, she gets her personality from her mom. But anyway, so <laughs> Amy was like, give all the other kids their food and tell them, like, you will give them their food if they're sitting nicely and waiting with happy hearts. So I was like, okay. So I told them that, and all the kids sat down one by one, except for my last, my last um, not-so-happy child, <laughs> who still was then mad that she did not get her food. So she was like, just wait it out. Just set the food on the counter. And so I waited it out, and eventually she calmed her body down. I gave her her food. But that, it was like walking. I felt like I needed Amy to walk with me in that moment and align myself with her. I am not patient in my nature. I am not gracious in my nature. But being, being able to be with someone who is more patient and gracious really helped me. And honestly, it changed the trajectory of our day because our kids were still tired from the four days of swimming and not sleeping great. But they, my daughter, Carrie, I'll just say it. Carrie was so much sweeter and more trusting of me. I think because when you, when you demonstrate humility, your kids see that. And she demonstrated humility. She listened to me better. She wanted to walk with me more. Like, 
it was, it totally changed our day. Um, just this whole concept of aligning ourselves with others and ex accepting and appreciating that heartfelt advice. Amen. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so first aspect of being a humble servant was aligning yourself with others. The second that, that Esther um, displays is aligning yourself with God. A humble servant aligns with God. And this photo right here, this was actually from teen camp last summer. Not this summer, but last summer. We didn't have a good photo from this last summer of, of this uh, situation right here. This is our staff meeting. We had a daily staff meeting towards the end of the day. And it was kind of a uh, sharing good news, debrief from the day, and preparing for the next day. But the first thing that we did for about the first 15 minutes of our um, of our staff meeting was get on our hands and knees and pray. And we petitioned God to open up the hearts and the minds of the counselors, the staff, the teens, as they were in their groups, sometimes confessing sins, sometimes sharing just things that were on their heart, things that they learned. We were, we were petitioning God that, that he would do his work and that we would join him in his work. Mm -hmm. Whatever he was doing in each life of these teens. And it was funny because we, we had mentioned this to, to a group of teens. And they were like, oh, we thought you guys just went and like relaxed and ate. And just kind of like rested from the day. Um, and, and that's not what we did. We, we, uh, we were really trying to align ourselves with God. Because we knew that nothing was going to happen. Um, no... No spiritual developments, no uh, progress in relationship with God unless we were working with God in it. Um, and one of the best ways to, to really go intimate in your relationship with God is to fast. And we'll talk about that in just a sec. But this is something that we see in the book of Esther, fasting. Again, there's no mention of God. But fasting is, unless you're intermittent fasting like some of you guys out there, for physical health, maybe sometimes spiritual. Um, but fasting is very much a, a relational thing with God. And so we're going to look at a passage now where, uh, where we see Esther fasting. The context right before this, there had been a degree, a decree, not a degree, a decree that had been issued for all the Jews to be killed on a certain day. And this guy, Haman... Uh, later called the enemy of the Jews, he issued this decree and he rolled some dice to figure out which day they would kill all the Jews. And so it had been uh, decreed. And so Mordecai, he hears of this decree and he tears his clothes. And he, he's crying and he's mourning in the streets aloud. And Esther hears about Mordecai's condition and he, she hears about his actions, that he's out in the streets mourning and so she tries to send help. She tries to send him more clothes, like put on some clothes. Um, but he refuses because of, of the despair that the Jews would be wiped out, that this decree had been passed. So they send messages back and forth through this messenger. And Mordecai says, Esther, approach the king, ask for his favor and plead with him on behalf of the Jews. And Esther responds by saying, it's against the law to approach the king without being asked. I could be killed for doing that. And so this is Mordecai's response to Esther. If you keep silent at this time, liberation and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's house will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position 
for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, day or night. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. First off, Mordecai, what a, what a faithful guy. It doesn't, mention, it doesn't mention God. He doesn't mention God at all. But God is written all over his response. Hey, if, if you keep silent, there's going to be deliverance from somewhere or someone else. But the Jews will be delivered. And so then he encourages her to take that step of faith. And he says, for such a time as this. If you look at Genesis 50, uh, 45, you'll see Joseph. Um, this was after he was slowed, uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. And he's looking back on his life and all the events that took place up to his reign. And he says, this was all for the purpose of saving lives. For such a time as this, I arrived at this moment and went through all that I went through to save lives. And this is the same mindset that Mordecai has. Mordecai and Esther, yes. Uh, and how does Esther respond? She responds with humility. Immediately, she makes a decision. And we'll look at that decision in just a sec. But what does she do? She says, Mordecai, gather all the Jews. So, and she says, let's fast. So she's aligning herself with God. I want to align myself with God. Whatever he's doing here, I'm going to fast and Catherine's going to talk about, um, uh, talk through a scripture about fasting. But I want to align with God. Mordecai, I'm aligning with you and I'm following, I'm trusting what you say. I'm trusting God. But also she's aligning with all the Jews in this kingdom and she's bringing them and involving them in this fast. So that when there is a victory, because there will be a victory, mm -hmm. that it's everyone's victory. Right. It's a collective effort. And when you look around you, this is a collective effort. Hmm. I mean, we are following, we are believers of God. We are following God. We are collectively trusting God and petitioning God to work, to use us to work in this community, hmm. to work in these relationships. This is a collective effort. And, and Esther understood that. And the amazing thing here is that Esther wasn't fasting for a decision. Like, I'm going to fast for three days and then we'll see what I decide after three days. We'll see in just a moment. She already made her decision. But she was fasting so that she could really align herself with God. And not rely on herself, not give in to fear. And that God would strengthen her after those three days to really follow through with that decision that she had made. Yeah. Let's, look at, um, let's look at what God says about fasting in Isaiah 58. So Isaiah 58, the whole chapter is called true fasting and what a true fast is. And so this is God talking in Isaiah 58 verses 6 through 7. He says, isn't this the fast I choose to break the chains of wickedness, to untie the ropes of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to tear off every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and the homeless into your house, to clothe the naked when you see him and not to ignore your own flesh and blood? It's this whole a fast is not so that you can be full of hunger. You know, like when we fast, obviously you feel hungry. If you're taking a full day break from food or if, whether you're fasting from 
alcohol, you're fasting from desserts, you crave what you're fasting from. But that, that craving is not so that you just get angry and feel grumpy and are filled with selfish thoughts. It's so that you empty yourself of your selfishness and can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be filled with the mindset of Christ. Because this, it's actually really interesting. If you read Luke 4, this is a lot like the prophecy that Jesus fulfills. He says that he came to set the oppressed free, that he came to break the chains and set people free from the yoke of oppression. Um, and so when we fast, we empty ourselves to be filled again with God's mentality and with his, his perspective of others. Uh, and this was Esther's heart, right? Like she made this decision that she was going to do everything she could to save her people. Uh, but she needed God's perspective, so she went on this three-day fast. Um, this is something that Dustin and I have started doing recently. Uh, we started a new rhythm. We're actually not really calling it a fast, but it is kind of a fast, where uh, during our work week from Tuesday through Saturday, we do not drink alcohol and we do not watch TV. And it might seem like kind of a weird thing to do, like, well, how do you guys relax? Um, we still relax. We pray. <laughs> but we found that when we would work, it's, sometimes it's hard well, days are long, and you feel exhausted. And when I feel exhausted, the first thing I want to do is sit down and watch TV or sit down and drink some wine or drink while I cook. Um, but we found that that was, it was actually getting in the way of our prayer life because at the end of the day when we were tired, we weren't brought to our knees in desperation to God. We were actually just bending to our cravings. Does that make sense? And... I don't know if any of you can relate, but I found myself getting kind of foggy in my head. I wasn't, I wasn't desperate for God anymore. I was just kind of desperate for my wine and desperate for my TV uh, or my chill time. Uh, but really, this mentality of like, okay, now we're not, we're not going to think about those things during the week. We're going to be totally devoted to our work, uh, which is helping teens become Christians. Um, it has really helped us because this isn't a work that we can do on our own. <laughs> Making disciples is nothing that we can do on our own strength. We need God's wisdom to get that accomplished. And it's been really, really freeing for us. And it's shifted our perspective that our, those comfort, comfort is not our idol anymore. Um, this is our mentality. Like, what can we do? Where can we serve? Uh, it's been really refreshing for our hearts. Amen. Thanks, Faith. Yeah. Awesome. She's wonderful. Okay, the, the last point we have today. So a, a humble servant aligns with others. A humble servant aligns with God. And a humble servant, jumped ahead, surrenders. Surrenders. Uh, this photo right here, this is a tree that's outside of our front door. Uh, the one on your left was obviously lifeless, or it looks lifeless. Uh, that was taken on April 9th of this year. And then three months later, I just took that picture yesterday, and obviously there's life. There's trees, there are new branches, and when I was, when I was pruning that, I wasn't really, the intention was not to prune the whole thing so it looked like a dead tree. Uh, but as I was pruning, I was like, you know what, I want, I want to get rid of everything that looks like life on this tree, and I was praying as I was pruning it, because I want to see even though I can't see growth as it's happening, I want to see how this thing grows and, and how life sprouts from it at the right time. 
And so I was praying that, that as we see life sprout from this tree, this dead-looking tree, that we would see life, God producing life in different areas of our life. And, and so, I mean, it, it's to the point where I need to prune it again. And it started out with just a little, a few little tiny leaves like sprouting out. I'm like, man, this is going to take a while. And then all of a sudden, it was almost like a daily basis. I'm like, man, that thing is looking fuller and fuller and fuller. There were times that we'd go out at like, we went to teen camp and we came back and it was just like, there's like, yeah, like 40 new branches that had grown. Um, but, but this is, you know, when, when we look at the book of Esther and sometimes in our lives when we're like, is God really working? What is God doing? He's doing something awesome. Sometimes we can't see it, but we need to trust that he is working in an amazing way. And just when you least expect it, he is going to produce life. Fruit is going to come into areas of your life that you're like, this is going to be fruitless for the rest of my life. God is doing something amazing. A humble servant surrenders. In Esther 4.16, we had mentioned that Esther made a decision before she even started this fast. This fast was to reinforce that decision and to get behind God in his work. And so she says, after that, after the three days of fasting, after that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. If the king kills me, he kills me. Total surrender. Esther said, forget the law. King Xerxes, he's got nothing on the king of kings. King of kings. And Esther said, if I perish, I perish. It's another way to say, I surrender. I trust you, Lord. Think for a second. Is there a decision you know you should make that you haven't made? Maybe, maybe the reasoning is that, you know what? I don't know. I'm praying about it. You know, that can be an excuse. That can be an excuse. Sometimes that's just to cover up that, like, I don't really want to deal with it. I'm praying about it. Or maybe, you know what? Life is busy right now. I'll get to it later. Maybe, maybe another season in life I'll be ready to make that decision. Especially if it's a decision about you and your relationship with God. You need to make that decision now. Mm. Now, trust those who have gone before you and surrender to God. Remember what Jesus said. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. I don't know if you have ever, I'm sure many of you have been humbled in life. It does not feel good. Hopefully we learn from it, but it doesn't feel good. I'd much rather humble myself and the Lord pick me up and exalt me than the Lord humble me and teach me a lesson. Yeah. Yeah, that's rough. Um, you know, I actually, there was one time when I was in college, this is probably my, one of the most challenging times of my life um, because I, it was a time, it was probably from like, 19 to 23, I felt like my mind was not my friend. Like, have any of you guys ever felt that way? Like your thoughts are not what you want to think. And it actually feels like your mind is kind of working against you. Uh, it, it, I remember, I would call my mom and tell her, I feel like Satan is in my head because it just felt like I was accused. Like I would try to do something and Satan would say like, you're gonna suck, you're gonna fail. Like everything you do is awful. No one likes you. You're dumb. You're stupid. Like, and I, it, I felt like I had no control over my mind. And so I slipped into this like dark depression where I, 
It was the most hopeless I've ever felt, the most scared I've ever felt. I called my mom every day because I needed someone. I needed my mom. Uh, I needed someone to talk to because I had no faith. Like, it was gone. And it was a scary time because growing up in the kingdom, I've always known God. You know what I mean? Uh, so being, I felt like I, would, I couldn't get to him. I couldn't even pray without feeling caught up in my words. My dad, I would pray with my dad and he would tell me like, try to pray about this. And I would try and I couldn't <laughs> try to pray about that. And I would try and I couldn't. He was like, it's okay. I'll pray for you. And it, it but it was such a scary and raw feeling. And my mom uh, shared with me 2 Corinthians 12 verses 7 through 10 um, because I would beg God like why can I not think right? Like why can I not be happy? And I would beg God to take it away and he didn't. And so then I felt even more accused and more mad. And so my mom read 2 Corinthians 12 7 through 10 which says you know three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me but instead he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. What my mom said is like, you just need to surrender. Like, your mind may not be your friend for the rest of your life. What are you going to do? And it was a really kind of scary thought. Like, what if my mind never changes? What if I always feel accused and condemned by Satan? Like, what am I going to do? Jesus can Jesus still be Lord, even in that kind of hopelessness. Um, and it, it turns out he can. Like, it was, I needed to rely not on my strength, because that's kind of how I grew up acting, was like my own strength, my own wisdom, um, being a strong, independent woman. <laughs> and what God was saying is like, you're, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to need my grace. And I'm so grateful because I don't think I would have connected with God and his grace if it weren't for feeling so hopeless and empty and in despair. But it was this moment of surrender, like, okay, I let go. Like, if I feel this way forever, I feel this way forever. But God, you will still be Lord, and you are a gracious God. And he yielded amazing fruit in my personal walk with him. <laughs> Amen. That's awesome. Thank you, babe. Yeah, we can. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for sharing vulnerably. Okay, so we're going to wrap this thing up. We're going to do, uh, we're going to take communion in just a moment. Communion is a time that we, we pass uh, bread and juice, and it's a time to remember what Jesus did uh, when he sacrificed himself, when he surrendered him, his life on the cross for us. And there's a, there's a scripture in, in John chapter 12 that we're going to read with Jesus' mindset, and it's very similar to Esther's mindset. You know, Mordecai mentioned uh, a time for such a time as this. And Jesus also mentions time. The hour has come. And they, bo they both knew that they were there for a reason. And they were there to save lives. So let's read the scripture. John chapter 12. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. For the Son of Man to be nailed to a cross. Very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? You see that Esther was troubled as well. She needed to fast for three days to align her mind with God. 
And Jesus, in the same way, my soul is troubled. But what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You know, Esther's hour had come for her to surrender her life and possibly die for the sake of saving the Jews and delivering them. Jesus' hour had come for him to surrender his life and in fact die to deliver all of mankind from our sins. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. This mindset, it's the mindset that this isn't about me, God. This is about you and your awesome plan that oftentimes I can't see and I don't know what you're doing all the time. But I want to surrender my life to you because you know what you're doing and what you're doing is awesome. In aligning herself with God and with others, Esther said, if I perish, I perish. I'm surrendered. And in aligning himself with God and with us, Jesus essentially said, I will perish. I am surrendered. So as we take communion, I want us to consider a couple, a couple questions. How has God transformed your heart and perspective through surrender? Think of times you have surrendered. How did God transform your heart and perspective? And how is your alignment with God right now? How is your alignment with God? Let's pray for communion. And then after communion, the teens will come up and sing another song. God, we thank you for this time to remember you. Uh, really, this, this should be a celebration for us. That we get to reflect on uh, what you have done in our life. The way that you have transformed us because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. God, that, we, uh, that you have just poured out your favor, your grace. Even when we have been at our darkest and ugliest moments as humans, you pour out your grace mm -hmm. and you love us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus' surrender on the cross. God, that, that he is that kernel of wheat that fell to the ground, that surrendered his life. And now we are reaping uh, the fruit and the, the benefits and the, uh, the grace from that decision and that surrender. God, I pray that we would surrender our lives to you. Thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.